some guy comes up to me and he's like, hey, don't you feel bad? And I said, for what? And he says, for taking all these dirt trackers money, blah, blah, blah. You're a factory road race guy. All you road racers, blah, blah, blah. And your factory bikes and this and that. And these guys work hard week in and week out to fucking come out here and do this. And I looked at this guy. I said, hey, dude. I just bought this bike with my own money. I drove out here in my van by myself. I've got no mechanic. I haven't rode a dirt track bike in almost 10 years. I sat on this bike for 10 laps. Like I, That's the first time I've ridden in that long. And I said, if these guys can't do better than that, and this is what they think they're doing week in and week out, they might want to find a different job, dude. I was yes. so pissed at this guy. Episode 34, Tanks Lapping Podcast. We're back. It's been, oh man, what, two weeks now. It's a crazy part of the season, but we're back at it. We actually pre-recorded this episode we're sharing right now with our guest, Jake Zemke, but Carter was feeling a little under the weather and we were traveling, Sammy and I, but excited to finally get this live. Sammy, what's good, man? Uh, well, I'm just hoping that I don't have to miss the show, man. I know you bailed off a few weeks ago. You had to miss the show. Carter, uh, <laughs> I don't want to go into too much details, but it sounds like he spent a lot of time in the bathroom, and he had to miss the show. So I'm hoping I'm not next. That's that's all I know. Dude, he was in rough shape. When we, when we released bad. this pot, he was bad <laughs> off when we were filming. I, I was like, dude, you need to go to the like, doctors immediately. <laughs> so um, I was like, oh, anyway. he looked rough. He looked rough. Yeah, well, he's good now. So we, we didn't get the last one. Um, we actually recorded it prior to Atlanta. So we talked about Dallas a little bit. I wasn't a huge fan of the racetrack. I was expecting uh, Dallas to be more more like Texas Motor Speedway, abrasive, fast, fun. <laughs> and uh, Dallas, to me, it was uh, it was a challenging track. You know, it was the shape of it was definitely weird. Um, I'm not going to go into the whole uphill downhill thing because that annoys the shit out of me. Everybody keeps talking about the the incline and the decline, but for me, it was more like how tight the corners were and the surface. And it was one of the smallest half miles. I've ridden. Hey, Corey. Right there, man. I don't know. It was weird. What, what was what was the the difference in heights between the back straightaway and the front straightaway? <laughs> Middle finger, dude. Hey, you can't see it, but it's there. <laughs> I feel it. I feel it. Wait, that yeah, so it was bad. unique. Man. All right, it was never a crazy mind. Track, so. It was a crazy racetrack, yeah. but um, no, you know racing, what was but yeah, you know not not ideal. You know what was surprising about Dallas is it was better the first night than the second night. Yeah, I guess you're kind of right on that. It, 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 well, the second night I thought it was more smooth. To be honest, they, they kind of prepped it and it was smooth, but the the surface was really soft underneath because of all the rain they had leading up to that race. And then the more the bikes rode on it, the like smushier it got, if that's a word. But yeah, by the end of the night and both days, really, it got kind of rough, choppy, and it was just a, a very weird track. I thought. You know what? I'm going to talk about the pits because the pits were, that was just, it felt like you were walking on the moon. It was like, it wasn't like muddy or wet, but if you stepped on the ground, it would sink. It was weird. It was weird. I've never yeah, seen it well, like that ever in my life. 
Cruz liked it because he had lots of little uh, whoop-de-doos to hit on his uh, little bicycles and stuff like that. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, but no, it was good racing. That was, heck, that was two weeks ago at this point. I mean, I'm sure everybody listening saw or watched that race, so we won't get into the results or anything like that. But no, it was interesting, interesting racetrack. And then Atlanta a few days ago, honestly, Atlanta is one of my least favorite tracks on the schedule. I was kind of joking around with Michael Locke all year. I'm like, hey, can we, like, cancel Atlanta and not go there? <laughs> it's just like, just one of a, another weird racetrack. It's got a, like a, a D shape, the front straightaway, you're constantly turning. It usually gets really slippery and, and, and things like that. But it actually was pretty, pretty decent. I thought there was some really good racing. And um, from some yeah. people I've heard, Sammy, it was the best racing of the year. You know what? I will, uh, I have to uh, concur with that for uh, uh, with that statement. How's that for a fancy word? Uh, no, I totally agree. I think uh, Atlanta provided some, some great racing. I mean, uh, you, your battle with uh, Raspoli was pretty intense. The Super Twins, I think it was like the best Super Twins main events both nights. You know, uh, I mean, between Breyer and Jared and then Jared and, and Brandon Price, uh, some, some intense racing for sure. So, uh, and of course, 450 class, that's always, you know, brutal and intense everywhere you go. But uh, very racy racetrack. What's up with everybody hitting walls lately, man? I mean, you know, my guy, Ryan Barnes, <laughs> got in the wall a couple of times. And then down there, the Lana man, uh, or, you know, Texas, uh, Bromley and a few guys, and, and Robinson got in the wall. And then at Atlanta, I seen Halbert in the wall. Jared was into the wall. Uh, what's going on with this? Well, man, I... I, I, we're using every bit of track we can to try and keep the bike straight off the corner, not spin. I mean, one thing I've noticed with these new DT4 tires, it's it's a little bit harder on these clay tracks to get traction. So I think we're just trying to, you know, make the the corners kind of extend them a little bit wider, drive it through the center more, and we just run out of real estate on the exit. I mean, I'm I don't really flirt with the wall too much. I, I try to stay away from it, from those things, uh, but. I have noticed it's been, yeah, it's been a matter of inches for uh, for some of these these racetracks. So, yeah, it was, yeah, I don't know, man. Atlanta's cool. It was nice to, for me, I was able to get a win the first night. And it, it's been, I feel like all season, man, it's been, it's been a grind. And it felt like my first win. I was so pumped up. Like, <laughs> Do you like Atlanta a little bit better now? <laughs> yeah, I know a few people ask me that. I like it better. I mean, it's, it's kind of racy. There's multiple lines kind of. So that was cool. I had, I had a line that I was, I had to kind of run on the Yamaha and then, you know, James and Chad on the Harleys were able to do something a little bit different, just different bikes, way different bikes and engine combinations and things like that. So I kind of had to do, I had to kind of do what the track would give me and I'm sure same for him, but um, yeah, the second night it was like, it was a good race and I was definitely bummed out. I didn't pull off a double win after fast qualifying and, and things like that. But man, I, I'm, working hard trying to trying to get wins and just finish out the season strong but there's um yeah i mean the production twins in the singles class i mean they're the points gap is pretty far but the um super twins we got a pretty close battle so that'll be interesting see how it plays out here in the next few rounds but before we get any farther i want to shout out our sponsors and make it happen bell power sports check out bellhelmets.com to view their full line of products the quality and safety is unmatched if you start tank slapping you want to be protected by bell a big shout out to Jerry Stinshield, Roof Systems of Dallas, Texas, Commercial Industrial Roofing Company. Check out his website at commercialroofsystems.net. He helps out a lot of teams in the paddock 
nearly 40 years of roofing experience. So want to thank Jerry for supporting our show. Dunlop Tire, check out DunlopMotorcycleTires.com to find your nearest dealer and get some tires, DT3 and DT4 available. Hit them up on social media. Tell them we sent you. And also want to give a shout-out to the Moto America Series. They're racing Indianapolis this weekend. Check them out. Moto America Live Package you can get from their website, MotoAmerica.com. They are the official AMA Road Racing Series in the USA, led by 190-mile-an-hour superbikes. There are five ways you can watch the action. We've mentioned Moto America Live Plus with all-day live streaming. You can watch live superbike on Fox Sports Saturday and Sunday, live supersport on MAV TV Saturday and Sunday, and then Eurosport. They live stream it to 54 countries around the world. So shout-out Moto America. We have a lot of friends in that series, and we appreciate their support. Our guest for tonight is Jake Zemke, Sammy, another Cali Lodi, I guess Lodi boy, right? I mean, might as well keep the yeah, trend going, get all the Lodi people yeah. possible. Yeah, yeah, District 36 guy for sure. Jake, uh, uh, you know, grew up racing in California and, uh, you know, has a pretty amazing story. I'm sure he's got a lot to talk about. I can't wait to hear what uh, he has to say. But somebody I grew up with and, and know pretty well. So it's always fun to talk to friends, you know. Well, everybody's a friend, right? Yeah, well, you're friends with a lot more people than I am, I think. But um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but no, he, uh, dude, Jake Zemke's no joke. I mean, he's a factory Honda Superbike racer. He's done, you know, a lot of, lot of amazing things in the AMA Superbike Series against some of the top, toughest competition of the century. I mean, that guy is legit. So talk to him a little bit, yeah. you know. And I, I've heard he's a sleeper when it comes to flat track, like he's, you know, Kenny Coolbeth, when we had him on the show, he said Zemke was his biggest rival and Coolbeth was like an amateur phenom. So, so yeah. It's, yeah, it's man. Pretty, he, pretty... Jake, Jake was no joke. You know, he just, you know, his career just took a, a turn towards, you know, uh, road racing. But if that never happened, I'm sure, uh, you know, he, he would probably have a solid career uh, going in circles. No doubt in my mind. Let's not wait any longer. Let's, let's call Zemke up and chat with the man himself. Carter. Give Jake Zemke a call. Hello? Jake Zemke, Corey Texter, Sammy Sabedger here with the podcast. How are you, man? I'm doing good. How are you guys? We're always good, man. Doing well. You guys recovering from Dallas or what? Yeah, it's a short week. I mean, it's even a shorter week for Corey, I'm sure, man, because this guy, he drives everywhere. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was tough. That was, what, 20? It was like 22-hour drive, man. I left, I left like, early the next morning, and we got home. We got home, like, Monday at 10 a.m. So, I mean, you've done it. You know how it is. It's It sucks. <laughs> I, I'm too old to do that stuff now. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like I'm too old to do it. <laughs> nah, it's part of what they say. We're living the dream, I guess. I don't know, man. I Whatever. But, yeah, no, it's... Good to chat with you. We've uh, had a lot of guys on the show that you've that you've raced with and you're friends with, and they've been bringing up a lot of Jake Zemke stories. So wanted to call you and talk to the man himself. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, a man of many talents. You know, I mean, you've raced uh, all kinds of stuff. I'm, I'm sure we're going to touch base on all that. Yeah, I mean, for me, man, I, I know, I mean, I know a lot of your road racing background because when you were like, I don't like to bring up the age thing, but when you were a flat track guy, I was pretty young, so I didn't get really to, I didn't get to watch your race too much. I, I don't think you were born yet, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was not born or very little, so uh, I'm still little, but younger, so I, um, 
but I know a lot of you know a lot about your road racing career. I was a fan. I you know I watched you on the the Honda Superbike and the Jordan and and all that stuff. So as far as your the background story of you know this is a flat track podcast, but you grew up in California racing flat track. You know, we had Johnny Murphy on the show, Ben Bostrom. So we heard a lot about the Northern California. I mean, California in general, just flat track back then was stacked. And uh, I want to talk about your amateur days in flat track and some of your rivals and, and things like that. Where did you race and, and how did you get started in that? Yeah, well, I mean, going back to even before I started racing, it, it all started with my dad, as, as it does for most of us racers, right? My dad's story is actually pretty funny because he was, as a kid, he lived in Michigan, and um, a neighbor down the street got a go-kart, and he wanted a go-kart, and his dad was like, no way, dude, you're not getting a go-kart. So my dad and his dad butted heads. My dad ran away from home when he was 17 and uh, hitchhiked from Michigan to California. And I don't know when he found flat track, but somehow he ended up at a flat track race at some point, and he was still pretty young. Like, he bought a motorcycle when I think he was 18, but um, he ended up at a flat track race and just completely fell in love with it and um him and my mom even before me and my sister were born like they would take off in the summertime and just like follow the grand national circuit and go to races and hang out and like they got to know some of the racers and they'd hang out with them or whatever and just like he was just living the dream like following the tour like but he was just a fan and uh one of his one of his best friends uh up there they were living in san francisco at the time or san jose one of the two and he took him to a flat track race and uh, to a national, to a grand national. And his buddy just looked at him and they were like, his buddy was a hippie. And he's just like, man, I don't understand this stuff, but if you like it so much, why don't you do it? It had honestly never dawned on my dad that he could actually like buy a motorcycle and go race. So that week he went down to uh, Sonny Kenyon's bull taco shop up in Northern California, bought himself a couple of bull taco Astros, bought a 250 and a 360 and went out and started racing. And uh, that's kind of not too long after that, maybe a, a year or two after that's probably when I was, I was born and came along. So, you know, uh, there's pictures of me as a little infant at, um, you know, all kinds of tracks in Northern California. My dad was never any good. He was just a novice amateur motorcycle racer, but uh, you know, that's kind of where it all started from. I grew up around the racetrack and we had moved back to Michigan when I was three years old and, I don't know if I was four or five or whatever age I was, but uh, got a little JR50, and um, we, we lived in Michigan. And our local lo- local track was uh, Lucky Thumb, and um, they had a TT track there, and that that was my first race was at, at, at Lucky Thumb. That's that's really cool. I you know I forgot that man. You you uh, you had a little bit of a District 14 Michigan background in you, uh, but that's a really cool story about your dad. You know I gotta I gotta. I don't know. I got to tell this story, but when I was a little kid, you know, Jake's dad, his name is Paul. And so, um, (laughs) he would always, you know, say, Hey Paul. And I thought he was on his dad, Paul, like P A like W Paul or, or, you know, like, Hey Paul. (laughs) And he's like, Hey Paul, you know, and he always called his, and then I don't know, it was way later in life. I'm like, wait, you call your dad by his name, Paul. You've been saying Paul this whole time. <laughs> that blew me away, man. Uh, that blew me away. But, you know, you talk about your dad. Your dad was always a fun guy at the races, always great guy to talk to. And, uh, you know, talk about your early days, Jake, man. I mean, my earliest memories of you were like at Monterey Short Track when you were just this real quiet kid with that real big Yamaha leather jacket. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. You had the, oh, yeah. Was, was oh, that your yeah. dad? Were those? 
your dad's leathers that you were wearing that were like 20 times too big for you? God, I can't even remember. Like, I know that uh, I remember having a few different sets of leathers when I was a kid. And uh, I want to say those, if you're talking real early days, those, oh, yeah. those yellow and black leathers. Yep. I want to say those things came from Michigan. And I want to think, I'm thinking that maybe we got those from uh, a kid named Joey Lane. Um, but I'm not positive because, because it wasn't long after that, like that would have had been like the, within like the first six months I was racing in California because oh, wow. not long after that. Yeah. yeah. Because those yellow letters, cause not long after that, um, you know, I know I, I follow Sammy on Instagram and he put up some Alma transport stuff. Cause <laughs> like within like six months, John Montez had bought me some some new leathers, which I believe was one of your first set of leathers. The, yeah, the red and white ones. Actually, mine were yeah, copied off of yours. Yours got made first. Oh, they were. And, and then uh, was like, well, we want ours just like Jake's. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I, I copied so your funny. leathers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, I didn't. Uh, I don't think I had those yellow and black leathers for very long, and I, I hardly ever even remember wearing them. To tell you the truth. Um, Man, because that, then after that, I always had like custom, like really nice leathers after that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think those were like my first hand-me-down leathers for sure. Well, I didn't realize that, uh, man, that was the very beginning, but yeah, you were, yeah, I remember that like it was yesterday for some reason. <laughs> yeah, no, that's funny because like I said, yeah, that was probably, it, it had to have been within that first year of me racing in California. So like I had raced a little bit in Michigan, but I was like really small and I didn't even know how to shift. And, and, um, like by the time I left Michigan, I was just learning how to shift my motorcycle, but you know, there was only a couple short tracks, uh, in Michigan and everything was like half miles and pretty deep. And, and, um, you know, my dad didn't want me riding the half miles cause I, was, I, I barely even knew how to shift the bike at that point. And I was so small, I probably couldn't even held on to the thing if I tried. So, um, you know, I, I'd only done, I don't know how many races in Michigan, but I did a, quite a few. And, and, um, when we moved to California, that was like when, for me, my racing quote unquote career really kicked off. And, you know, the first race we went to was at the Monterey fairgrounds. And, uh, this was, uh, I don't know, whatever, February or March of 1985. And it was like my first, first time I ever won a race. Like the first race we showed up in California, I won. And, um, the, the, the house that my parents had bought in California, it was on an acre of land and it, my dad just cut in a little tiny track in the backyard. It started out, it was literally just a circle. It wasn't even an oval. Like it was so small. It was like second gear and it was just a circle. And, um, but that's, you know, I, I'd, I'd practice every day. I'd come home from school and, and, uh, as soon as I'd get home, I'd get on my bike and I would literally ride until it would be past dark. My mom would be flipping on the porch light telling me to come in the house and I'd still be riding. And, uh, <laughs> that's what I did every single day. And so I went from winning my first race as an amateur, uh, you know, in, in whatever that was February or March, whenever the spring series started at Monterey. And then I ended up winning the, um, amateur national championships were in Porterville, California that year. And I ended up winning, winning my first amateur national championship that, that, uh, that July. So it was a pretty, pretty steep learning curve. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. You're uh so your dad, Paul, from what I hear, he was really good at marketing. Um, you know, when you're coming through the ranks, you were basically legendary by the time you were eight years old or whatever, from what I hear. Um, I, I heard I heard it's similar to kind of how Earl Hayden is, you know, with 
with his boys. He was really good at marketing and kind of want to get some backstory on on how your pop just how how you guys mark like there's a lot of parents that listen in and stuff like that. But how did you guys market yourself so well um, back then? And and um, and where did he learn to do stuff like that? I honestly have no idea. Like my dad, my dad's awesome. And, uh, you know, he probably wanted to race and win more than I did. <laughs> still does to this day. Like that guy still, a lot of he watches all the flat track races. He watches the road races. He could care less about motocross. I actually got him to watch some supercross with me this winter or, you know, earlier this year. And like, he still was just kind of like, yeah, I don't know about this stuff. <laughs> Not his cup of tea, but, uh, but no, it was cool. You know, we, I don't know how he got, um, honestly, I, I think my dad, it was probably driven out of the fact that we needed the help. Like my dad was just like a house painter and my mom was a nurse and my dad would go like, you know, all winter long without having work and stuff. So like, we didn't have any money. Like, it's funny. Cause like the kids at the races thought like we were super rich. Cause I had like super nice bikes. Like my dad put everything he had into my equipment. So I always had like super trick motorcycles, but like we didn't we didn't have money at all and so i i don't know if it grew out of that like that we just actually needed the help <laughs> that he learned how to put stuff together but like yeah i remember him like even my first year's racing like putting together resumes and all kinds of stuff and you know he'd be sending them out all all winter long to different uh companies and sponsors and things and you know, uh, there was a, a really cool dude uh, from Northern California. His name was Bill Spencer. He was announcer and all kinds of different things over the years. Actually, you know, if you watch some of the old uh, flat track races, he was announcing on there, Big Bill Spencer. And, uh, man, he was he was a rad guy and a super big fan of mine. And, like, and my dad knew him from when he was racing. And, uh, you know, he, he helped a lot, too. But I, I don't even remember what it was. I remember there was a, there was a shop in um, – San Jose Rocky Cycles, which then turned into Tucker Rocky, which then turned into Tucker, what we all know as Tucker these days, right? And but it was just a shop, more or less. In in uh, they had some distribution, but it was so different back in those days. But anyways, I remember I don't know how we got invited. I don't know if Bill Spencer invited us to go to this thing, but they had what's now known as like kind of like a showcase where, so they had a bunch of the vendors there, and so we went in there. My dad just started talking to people, and before you know it, I was. Um, shoot i i think we get, got sponsored by maxima oil diamond chain sunstar sprockets like and i was literally nine years old and just had won my first race earlier in the year and like <laughs> then won the amateur national championship and then now i have all these sponsors showy helmets um yeah the list just kind of went on and on i don't know how my dad did it but i mean none of them were paying us or anything but we were, they were all product sponsors but man all of a sudden we didn't have to pay for sprockets chains oil you know helmets this that you know almost transport they were buying leathers like it, it it was like everybody was just kicking in and it made made life a lot easier that's for sure that that's uh that's awesome to hear that story and you know especially for me to you know hear you talk about so many things that are so familiar to me but you know you talk about you know some of your uh your motorcycles that you had when you were a kid and uh you know to this day if anybody asked me if there's one motorcycle that just made my jaw drop it was your 80 your yz 80 was the <laughs> trickiest thing i had 
ever seen in my life. I just drooled over it every time I seen it. I mean, I don't know. This thing, man, had like just super nice wheels on it. The exhaust looked like, I don't know. I mean, it was beautiful the way it was welded. I mean, this thing sat nice. The seat was cut perfect, not all funky where it dipped way down. I mean, it was this thing. I hope you have pictures of it because this thing was bad to the bone. And then uh, it was like, man, this guy's destined for greatness. He rides trick equipment. He's super (laughs) fast. And he's like the perfect size for a racer and he flies, you know, it's like, man, Jake was, you were definitely destined for greatness from an early age, but like, you know, those, uh, man. And then not only that, but like you're 250. I mean, I thought your 80 was bad. And then one day you show up with this <laughs> super trick. I'm like, what, what is this? You had like, a, you know, you had aluminum mag rims on that thing. And that was like in the eighties. Those, those like, were the first, those were the first PM aluminum wheels. Were they? Yeah. Those things were so cool, man. You got to, you got to load us up on some pictures because our listeners, you know, they're always like, Hey, what's that stuff you were talking about? So you gotta, you gotta dig through the photo album, dig through the archives and see what we can come up with. But uh, yeah, my eighties were super tricked, but that's, that was the thing about my dad. Like I said, he, he wanted to win. Right. And so that guy didn't miss anything, dude. And, and, like at the time, like eighties, like everybody racing eighties were just running like the stock 17 inch front wheel with the stock 14 inch rear. And everybody was running the little Nanking tires, like the same tires we ran on our sixties on the rear of those things. And my dad saw, I don't know if he saw it in cycle news, if he saw, I don't know where he saw it, but he saw that like Michelin had come out with this new 16 inch rain tire that Freddie Spencer was using on his freaking GP bike. Right. Uh And my dad's looking at this thing going, I think that'd make a good dirt track tire, right? And the rules <laughs> would allow for up to 16-inch wheels in the AMA for 80s then. And so, um, you know, he got a hold of this guy, uh, Walt Schaefer. Uh, I think he was down in Alabama or something like that. And he was the Michelin distributor. And my dad starts asking about these tires. And he's like, what? What do you want? Like, what do you want those for? Like, those are for GP bikes. And he, my dad got him to get us some. Right. And so we put these tires on, uh, on our bikes and he went up to, um, Sandy Cosman and we had like Cosman hubs on my bike. Right. And he had to turn down the rear hub because the only way we could find a wide enough rear rim to run this tire was that it, it was, uh, it was instead of like 40 spoke, it was 36 spoke or something. So he had to turn down the hub to, to accept like and redrill it to like for the right spoke count, right? But the thing, I think I had like a WM5 or something on the rear of my 80. Like it was <laughs> sick. Like that bike was. So, oh, anyways, was, we showed up at the Amateur yeah. Nationals in '87, and we're the only. Everybody's running those Nan Kings, dude. And I had these like 16 inch <laughs> Michelin rain tires. Changing the game. Slaughtered everybody, and, <laughs> and like it, it was like after that. Uh, Walt Schaefer took out an ad in, in uh, Cycle News or whatever, congratulating us. And like his phone just started ringing nonstop because everybody's trying to order these tires. And, <laughs> That's um, awesome. And that, that was the go to tire for years and years in the 80 class. Like in, until I believe they at some point changed the rules to 17s. And, yeah. um, and, but that, but then, then they went to 17s because it was a more widely available tire at that point. But Michelin kept producing that tire for years. I ran into Walt years ago, and he was telling me the story that Michelin kept producing those rain tires for years just because they were selling them here in the U.S. Because nobody in road racing was using 16-inch wheels anymore. But they kept producing them because he was selling so many of them. Because, like, every dirt tractor had to have those. That's awesome, man. That, I, just to let everybody know, that 80 was so trick. To put it in perspective – 
I mean, the other kids on 80s had to feel like they were on TT500s compared to, like, an Indian. <laughs> like, you know, it was like, what? What is that thing? Like, that's how yeah, Jake's was, 80 was. It was super trick. Like, the front forks, like, we, we took the stock forks off, and my dad had found, um, I want to say they were um, Marzocchi, like, 32 millimeter or something. They were these little baby, like, like, perfect little forks for that bike and you know they were uh, uh instead of a leading axle fork they were a straight straight leg fork so the axle went right through the bottom just like you would on a normal flat track bike and um man yeah everything was tricked the, the motors were built by uh out of don vesco's shop here on the west coast and a guy that by the name of billy tally was the one who who did all the porting and did did my uh motors down there at vesco's and and billy tally had worked for factory yamaha back in the day like on their two-stroke stuff so like the, my i always had like super fast bikes and um yeah like they were they were trick that 80 was one of my favorite bikes that thing was so cool it was bad to the bone i uh i heard that your you guys actually sold a lot of your bikes to earl hayden and he bought them for tommy nikki and raj um which which of those bikes did did earl get and do you know where any of those bikes are anymore <laughs> i want to yeah, see them i, I want to buy one for my so, kid <laughs> right no none of them exist anymore unfortunately but uh <laughs> so my 80s um the funny part was is when i was getting off 80s like my dad was trying to sell my 80 and nobody would buy it like and it was he wasn't trying to ask like a ton of money for it but just like kind of what he had into it and nobody would even come close to buying it so we ended up parting that one out and then we had another 80 that we sold that was uh I think a little bit more complete, but it didn't have all the trick stuff on it. I think I wrote it in like the 80 stop class. And then we just put some extra, like an extra cylinder that we had and some extra pieces on it to sell it. But, um, after that, like when Earl and my dad got together, like I, I forget which year it was at the amateur nationals. I don't know if it was an 87 or if it was an 89 that those two really hit it off. But, um, my gosh, like it, it, it was unreal. Like, Earl and my dad literally would talk on the phone minimum once a week, every week. And those were like four to five hour phone calls. Like you would come home and my dad would be on the phone. And I'd be like, Hey, who are you talking to? And he'd be like, oh, I'm talking to Earl. And like everyone in the house knew like, well, nobody's getting used to telephone tonight. Like <laughs> that was before cell phones or anything cool. So we had one phone. Right. And, and you were like, well, you know, that my whole night's ruined. I can't call any of my friends or do anything. Like, <laughs> but, um, they they became really really good friends throughout the years and um, yeah they did the Haydens ended up buying all of my uh, my bikes after that so they bought all of my 125s uh, or my 125 both of my 250s um, we built them another 125 because um, they they bought I guess it would have been in '89 after the '89 Nationals I think Earl convinced my dad to sell them my 125 and then Earl like paid to build another 125 and my dad built it and we brought it down. We just finished it right before the amateur nationals in 1990. So I wrote it at the amateur nationals that year and then they took it home with them too. Um, and then they ended up with both of my two fifties, I think too. So they ended up with, with a bunch of bikes and, and throughout the years. And, um, but even their eighties, like I think we ended up, even though my eighties were you know, taken apart and pieced out. I think we started doing some stuff with Earl. I think my dad was getting them some different parts and stuff like that we used. And um, I can't remember all of it, but yeah, those bikes were great. 
Um, they, they ran their course though. Like my, my favorite bike, that one that Sammy was talking about, my 250, actually it was a 250 to begin with. And we bought it from a guy named Tommy Lynch in Bakersfield. And Tommy was a flat track kid. And then he ended up at like 16, I think going out to Willow Springs. And I don't know if he got like a test ride or what ended up happening or if he just showed up at a national, but like the kid put it on a box at an AMA road race national. And then Yosh signed him immediately to a contract. He was like, I think I want to say he was 16. He might've been 18, but I think he was 16 years old and signed a contract with Yoshimura Suzuki to go road racing. And, um, anyways, we had bought that bike from them and they had sourced these wheels from, from performance machine at the time performance machine was making like some road race stuff and uh road race wheels and those were like the first those were the first uh pm dirt track wheels that they had ever 19s that they had ever made and so they were on that bike and yeah and so then you know because my dad had asked him where he got them so then we ended up going down there and meeting perry sands which is roland's dad right and and um you know went through their shop and because we wanted more of those wheels made and he's like yeah sure we can make them we've still got the programs for them so they uh went ahead and, and, you know, so then all my, all my bikes, my 125s and 250s all had, had PM wheels on them and stuff. And it was, like I said, my, I had, I had some really cool trick stuff back then. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's funny cause you look at it now and you, you ask where are those bikes and, and it was funny cause not too long ago I was telling Roland about, uh, about those wheels and he's like, dude, where are those? Like, I want, like, can you find those? And I was like, well, they all ended up at the Hayden's. And so then I called Tommy and I was like, Hey, is there any chance you got one of those wheels floating around in the rafters or this or that? And he was just like, no, nope, dude, none of all that stuff. It, it all got ruined <laughs> at one Damn. point or another. It all, you know, PM wheels back then, especially back then, um, you know, they were so light, especially on the outer rim. They, they had a tendency to bend if uh, pretty badly if you got in a big wreck. And uh, so, yeah, all those, all those wheels had, had been destroyed and thrown away by that point. And, uh, but yeah, the, those were those were good times and good years, and a lot of good memories and, and friendships were built. And um, yeah, I mean, still to this day, the Haydens are are still some of uh, what I would call my best friends in racing. And um, you know, up until the point where I basically got married or met my wife, <laughs> um, I would still spend you know a week or two back in Owensboro every year in between road races and stuff. I'd, I'd go go back there and stay with the boys from OWB and hang out. And, um, yeah, it's, it's amazing that the friendships that, uh, that were built from the amateur nationals and, and just growing up racing and that, that still hold really strong today. Yeah. And talking a, a little bit about friendships and things like that, I talked to Johnny Murphy today and I got, I got some pretty good stories, man. I, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. If, I don't know if I have time to talk about all of them, but the, um, the the first thing I wanted to talk about that he mentioned was, you guys went in on a on a Cadillac together. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he he said he mentioned you you guys didn't have a lot of didn't have a lot of coin back then, and you went in and bought a Cadillac together. I wanted to get some background on that story. <laughs> <laughs> the Cadillac story, sure. So <laughs> Johnny's Johnny's dad. Uh, he, he tells us, Hey man, you know, this old, there was this, this garage out off of this highway off highway 46 that we out in Shannon. We, there was always like cars out in front of it. Well, it, I think the County shut the guy down or something finally. So he had to sell everything. And so his dad's like, 
yeah, there's these, there's a Cadillac down there. You guys should go look at it. I think the guy, like, you could probably just take it from him and he'd be happy. So we went down there and I want to say, if I remember right, I think we paid 300 bucks for that. That's Cadillac. what he said, 300 bucks. bucks each. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and the funniest said. thing, man, this thing was like a 1970, God, what was it? It was like a 76 or something. The thing was like the most awful color of green you've ever seen green interior four door big boat like you know the thing had to be like 90 feet long had a big block like five 500 something cubic inch big block in it that got about two miles to the gallon but man we bought that thing and the funny thing is we bought it we never registered it we never insured it like the registration the tags were good for like another nine months so we just drove it, man. And, and Johnny was always home in the wintertime, right? And so this was all happening in the wintertime. And, man, we thrashed that car. Like, we tried to kill that car, and we just couldn't. Like, you could fit so many people in it. Like, you could easily fit eight people in that thing, no problem whatsoever. Usually probably 10 or 12 on a good day. But, uh, yeah, we we had some fun times with that thing. We took it out to uh, – there's a little community out uh, out at the lake there, out at Lake Nacimento called Heritage Ranch, and they've got a driving range out there. Well, in the middle of winter, everything's all wet, and there's nobody around, and it's late at night. And we just matted that thing, held her wide open down the driving range, and, like, turned the wheel to lock, and the thing was still going straight, and they just floored it. I can, uh, we must have done 10 360s in that thing. <laughs> uh, and it was so fun. We just kept doing it. We just had to keep going and keep doing it. And so... You know, we had a, a lot of good times. And the funny thing is we ended up sending, selling that car to our buddy Randy Krauss for 300 bucks. And we always talked about, like, dude, we should make this thing a convertible. And like I said, we only had it like that one winter. And so Randy went ahead and cut the top off the thing and made it a permanent convertible. Oh, and, man. And uh, he registered it and insured it. And he drove that thing for a long time. Like, he, he had his truck and stuff. But, dude, every once in a while he'd pull out the caddy and we'd go cruise the caddy. And, dude, it was so that's so fun. I remember – we used to jump that thing off railroad tracks too, and uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, the the, the, Toretto, the baby. of that Cadillac was the transmission pan. Like the transmission pan hung too low, and the uh, drain bolt for the transmission pan was the lowest lowest hanging fruit. So Ooh. man, that thing got wiped out. I don't know how many times it would just leave a big old big old mess of tranny fluid everywhere, and then you'd have to park it and go get a new new tranny pan from the junkyard and fix yeah. it. And, <laughs> keep going so but yeah we had some good times with that one for sure <laughs> oh man that's that's good stuff i love that stuff i mean i i know you know i mean we you spent a lot of time talking about your amateur days and I, I could talk about that forever uh but you know uh you had a you had a pretty you know you had a great amateur career and then it's like i don't know you did all kinds of th- you, you kind of went away and then you came back to racing and and you did uh I mean, you you road raced, you got into the 883 series, uh, you did a little speedway racing. Like, how did how did you go? How did all that happen? I mean, because you went a lot of different directions there for a little bit. I did, I did. You know, and and talking about the amateur stuff, it was it was great. You know, growing up in California, had tons of competition out here. Um, I remember. I think it was 87. It was the first year they had a, Sammy knows this one good. It was the first year they had a black plate number one for the amateur class, which in district 36, like the experts black plate, like that's the big deal, right? Tony Myring, maybe black, black plate (laughs) number one, five time runner. Yep. 
<laughs> yep, exactly. So back in the day, man, that thing was like, back when I was a kid, it was like Rob Damron and Andy Tresser and the McDowell brothers. And man, there, there were so many fast dudes out there, all the Alma transport guys, PJ Sanchez and, and Bridges and Craig Johnson and all these dudes, like they were so fast. And that black plate was like a really big deal. Well, 87 was the first year we had enough 80 experts to have a black plate number one since I think like almost back to like Chris Carr days. Right. So it was, it was, uh, there was a lot of good racers and a lot of good competition back then, but like the dudes that were my, my weekend week out competition was like Ben Bostrom and Matt Waite and then Eric came up and, and Johnny that those guys were coming up about the and Nate Waite. Those guys were coming up about the time I was just about getting off, off my 80. But, uh, but man, there was some good times there and some good competition. And, um, you know, it, it was, didn't Brian it was Big- Sammy, did Brian Bigelow say that Jake was his biggest competition at Amsterdam nationals? Was that who said it? Did, you know, did you raise you know what? I, uh, no, no, it wasn't. No, no, no. I can tell you who it was, is. I know who it is. Oh, was it Coolbath? <laughs> it was Coolbath. Coolbath. Yeah, yeah, Coolbath. Yeah, Coolbath. Cool, cool, that's cool, right. Coolbath was my guy. That was the guy every year, man, because we're we're the same age and in or within you know whatever six months or something. So it, every year, man, it was cool. It's like that was the dude I had to beat, and and man, he he was solid. He was he was still is. I mean, that dude's obviously had such a great flat track career and uh you know he he was he was tough man that guy was always tough his bikes were always dialed too and fast and you know he was he was the same age as me but i remember getting on the bigger bikes and like when i got onto my 125 and 250 and stuff it was like right georgie price georgie price kevin barnes like those dudes they were so tough because they were each like a, a year, maybe a two years older than me. Like I think Georgie was just getting like I think I only raced him maybe one year, maybe two years, one year or two years at the amateur nationals because he was you know a couple years older and so he was then turning sixteen and going pro. But Georgie, man, he had he for a big dude, man, he had a rocket ship of a one twenty five. He had a Honda one twenty five that was a freaking rocket. But Kevin Barnes, he was always tough and uh, good people, you know. Jim Barnes, man, we always had fun with those guys at, at, at the Nationals, and, and uh, yeah, the, the the guys my age though, it was it was definitely cool, Beth. It was cool, Beth. Um, Ryan Anderson from Washington, who, who passed away. Um, uh, Randy Shank from Virginia. I don't know if you remember Randy, but Randy Shank was out there. He was hauling ass, and it was man, it, it was just. It seemed like things were packed, and obviously the Haydens, uh, you know, had raced Tommy a little bit. Never had to really race Mickey. He was a little bit younger. Um, he was down there with Murphy, you know, a couple years younger than us. But uh, man, yeah, it was those, those well, amateur nationals. They were a lot of fun. I heard that you actually. I don't know, you know, after your amateur career, Sammy touched upon it a bit, but you know, you were just getting ready to turn pro. You turned pro, maybe did a couple races, then you decided. You, you know, you just wanted to get a nine to five and work for a living. You worked at a motorcycle dealership and um, Murphy said a bunch of the guys were like, hey, man, you know, why don't you come out and give the road racing thing a try? And, um, you know, you went from flat tracking to the road racing deal. Did um, uh, from what I heard, you did a couple races on the Harley 883 road racing. Then you bought a 750 um, road race bike and then you pretty much jumped right into the pavement thing. So what was that transition like and why, why the pavement, you know, why'd you go pavement racing instead of flat track? Yeah. So when I was 14, um, I was sponsored by Rod Lake 
So I was the first kid that Rod ever sponsored. And, um, you know, I, I, even back then I knew I wanted to road race. Right. And so and Rod and I had expressed that to Rod. And so when I turned 14, my, my 14th birthday, my present from Rod was that he bought me like a private, uh, session with Keith code. So I went to Keith's house for the day. And then the very next day, uh, we, we just talked about things and then he went to the track with me and I had my, uh, whatever first novice race or whatever it was called out at Willow Springs in uh, Kent Riches from uh, Air Tech Fairings. He had sponsored me and let me ride a couple of his YSR 50s that I rode a handful of times. He set up one of his sponsored guys had an RS250 Honda. Um, and so he set it up to where I could ride that thing. And so I went out to Willow Springs and rode that. And that, like, that was my first introduction to road racing the pavement. And I loved it. And, um, uh, funny thing is 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 you know like i said we didn't really have too much money or, or, or things like that to to be doing all this stuff so um actually earl hayden bought me an fcr 400 and um my dad kind of just put the thing together and we we uh went out and started we raced it like a handful of times maybe five times out at willow springs and keith code you know at that time he was there was no track days. There was no riding schools or racing schools except for like Keith code really. And, and so Keith, uh, he wanted to sponsor me after that first day that we kind of worked together. And so he'd let me come out and ride at his superbike schools. I wasn't really doing anything other than just kind of putting laps in, but anyway, so I showed up at track, did those, whatever, four or five, uh, races. And we learned real quick that we couldn't really afford road racing. Like, the amount it, it was for tires and everything else. Like if we road race, Willow Springs ran once a month. And if we did that race once a month, that means I couldn't ride my dirt track bikes at all. So kind of had to make a decision, like race flat track and we can race every weekend, multiple times a weekend, like wherever there's races we were at, or I can road race once a month. And so, you know, we, we also figured out too, like we didn't have the money to really like, modify my bike at all like the thing was just stock with an exhaust pipe on it and and we couldn't really compete with the guys that had like they, they, they were running like these full-blown race bikes out there it was crazy and um so road racing went on the back burner right but then when i was 15 turning 16 keith code came back to me and at the time he had a 250 grand prix team with uh donnie green and they just won the ama 250 championship in road racing and, and he actually offered me a ride um and it was a hard decision but but we we declined taking that ride and i just kept on dirt tracking and you know when i was 16 i got my pro that was when it was still pro-am got my pro-am points um turned junior so for my junior program and it, you know my dad had been getting this all set up beforehand but when i turned junior when i was 16 he had a, a program set up for me it was with um, it was with Jim Kelly, Mike Mockby, and Tony Dodge, all West Coast Harley XR750 guys, right? And uh, we had some support from Bartels as well. Um, and so I had basically a whole whole 750 XR750 program set up for my junior year, which back then nobody rode XRs um, in the junior class. Everybody was riding road taxes. So I was going to go into my junior year like, and it was going to be really good. Well, I turned junior at the end of the year, rode the last couple of na junior nationals of the year. I went to Springfield and unfortunately, uh, in the heat race coming off the starting line, the, uh, the shift shaft spline was, uh, stripped. 
and so when I went to go shift it in gear, the shifter just fell right onto the brake lever, and, and my, my day was done right off the start of the heat race. And um, then we came back out west, went to Castle Rock, got uh, pretty beat up there, made the main, but, man, it was a tough weekend. Like, it, I think they had a 600 national and a, they, a junior national that weekend, but then they had some local races leading up to it, so we were there for like three or four days, man. And we were fast all weekend, but... Um, man just got beat up i ended up i think i ended up in a in a pile on, on the face of the jump with a couple guys and and uh just limped at home i forget what place i got but uh anyways then there was like the fresno mile which you know get, got boycotted that year a lot of guys didn't ride larry pegram won the the, the uh i think that was the second national he had won after hagerstown but anyways didn't didn't uh go forward and then the ama changed the uh that's when they changed from pro-am pro junior to like pro sport pro expert gnc expert or something like that i don't remember what they called it but um basically they were telling me i was going to have to uh go back and ride a 600 and collect a whole bunch more points before i could get my grand national points to go ride the 750 so like i could only get like this basic expert license or whatever it was called i don't i don't even remember but we petitioned AMA and, um, you know, our local district 36 rec, uh, rep wrote me a letter of recommendation. So did Steve Moorhead, Chris Carr, like a bunch of the dudes saying like Jake's, you know, he'll be fine out there with us. So basically I hadn't even turned 17 yet and I already had a, a grand national twins license. So I turned 17 over the winter, showed up at the first three nationals of the year, which were all on the West coast back then, San Jose, Sacramento, and Pomona, um, and man, when I, we showed up at, uh, San Jose, man, I was riding this thing. I was like, man, there's something wrong with this bike. Like it just literally won't turn. Like I get in the corner and the thing would not turn. It just wanted to go straight and, um, went to Sacramento and still had the same problem. And, and they say, well, you know, this, this frame was a copy off the last frame that Mike Monkney owned the, owned the frame. And, He's like, it's a copy off the last frame that Springer had won his last national on, you know, back when, and and um, that frame sitting right there in the rafters. And I was like, there's something wrong with this. So finally, they pulled the motor out of it, and they put the two frames side by side, and the swing arm pivot was like two inches off. <laughs> Damn. So we figured out why the bike wouldn't turn when I get in the corner. <laughs> but... Uh, so we that must have been fun. And, yeah, we got a new frame, went to Pomona, and, and, like, now I'm, like, pumped. Like, we found the problem, showed up there, and, dude, I was fast in practice. Like, we had gotten some, uh, uh, a little bit of help with our setup from uh, Al Stangler, who was Atherton's mechanic at the factory, at Harley back in the day. And and uh, he's like, here's the setup, but this is how the line you got to run, and this is how you got to ride it. And so that's what I did. And we were fast in practice, and I was super pumped. Like, dude, I was passing, like, like half-mile legends. Like, like dudes, like, that I had grown up watching race, and I'm like, man, I'm just blowing by these guys. I'm like, fuck, dude, I'm pumped. So going to qualifying, uh, I, I think, uh, what what's that saying? My ambition outweighed my talent. Mm. <laughs> the track had dried up a little bit you know by the time uh, i was fairly late in the qualifying order so that's when they used to send you out just to do like one lap or two laps in qualifying and when i sent the thing off into turn one um the track had dried up and man the cush was pretty dry and it, it just wouldn't hold me for the speed i carried in there and so i ended up started clipping the bales and, and uh man those hay bales just sucked me in and i couldn't couldn't get out of them so I ended up putting the thing on the ground 
And then I had the second qualifying attempt uh, after we, you know, put some new pipes on it and stuff. And I went out there just to make sure I'd put it in the show. So I ended up on the second row for my heat race, but started the heat race, got off the line, was in, uh, man, I think I was in, I think we were in third or fourth place by the time we hit the back straightaway off the second row. And like literally, I don't remember, I think Carr and Graham were in front of me. I was in fourth because Carr, Graham, and there was one other guy in front of me. And I was like, oh, I can pass this guy, no problem. <laughs> Went into turn three, stuck my foot in a hole, and uh, tore my uh, ACL and MCL ligaments in my knee. And like that was literally the end of my flat tracking. Like I. I uh, went and had uh, got checked out and at the doctors, and basically they gave me a couple options. Neither one of them sounded very good, um, so I just let the thing heal kind of naturally. And I was in a, I was in like a straight leg casting for like almost six months, and okay. um, didn't have surgery like they do these days to to repair things that quickly, ligaments and stuff. So um, that's that's what put me on the couch. And so then I was like, well, I'll just you know finished out high school and I got a job at a motorcycle shop, like you said, and, and Johnny would, you know, come in there all the time and try to get me to go riding. And I wouldn't even go riding. And, you know, we had, I decided I was done racing and, um, it was a very difficult decision. And we kept one bike though. Like I had like this ATK, like 406 or something that like trail bike, like that we just kept. And I don't know why we kept it, but it stayed in the garage forever. And, and one day Johnny kept bugging me to ride, bugging me to ride. And one day we pulled that thing out and uh, went, went trail riding. And it was like, I had raced for so long and that was like all I knew and all I did. And I think I was actually kind of burnt out on racing, but I didn't realize it at the time. And so it was completely refreshing when we went out and rode our trail bikes again. And it was like, I was like riding around, looking around going, wow, this is so beautiful out here. It's so cool. Like I'd never seen this when I rode those same trails, like, as a kid, like hundreds of times, then it was just, we were always racing from one point to the next. Right. But now I'm like looking around and I'm, I was just enjoying riding a motorcycle and, um, it kind of sparked something in, in me. And I told my dad, I was like, Hey, I want to go race something. And, uh, I think, you know, things were kind of bad with him for work and stuff at the time. And so it's like, well, you know, can't really afford to go flat tracking. Like we were, can't afford to go road racing. He's like, what about Speedway? He's like, those bikes are cheap. And he's like, we can afford to do that. And he's like, all right, sure, I don't care, whatever. And um, while I had not been racing motorcycles, my dad had bought a, a mini sprint, a little mini sprint uh, open wheel car. And I drove it a couple times and I didn't really care for it. Like, it was fun, but it wasn't riding a motorcycle. And um, so we ended up trading that thing to Bill Cody, who, who was a Speedway guy, uh, owned a bunch of Speedway stuff. And he was the Jawa Speedway uh, distributor in Southern California. And so we traded him because his kid raced cars. And so we traded him that for uh, a couple of Speedway bikes. I think we ended up with two or three Speedway bikes out of the deal. And, and I raced Speedway for a couple of years. And um, it was actually Speedway that brought me back to road racing. So one of the things. So I was racing Speedway and I went to England. Um, my buddy Charlie Benegas was racing in England in the British League. And to make any money racing speedway you had to go overseas you couldn't do it here so i went over there and hung out with him for like a month and got to ride a bunch of the tracks over there and things and got to hang out with uh greg hancock and it was like the first first world championship that he had won so it was pretty cool to uh see what it took for him to get to that point and 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 how he had to go about it but we ended up going to a road race like one of charlie's personal sponsors was also sponsoring a uh, triumph road race team so 
we went to a British Superbike race. And man, that, like as soon as I got in that that road race environment, I was like, yeah, this is it. Like this is what I need to be doing. And at the same time, those two dudes I talked about earlier from Northern California, Ben Bostrom and Matt Waite, they were killing it on 883s, and they were both killing it on 600s in road racing. Like, they were doing both, and I'm, like, thinking to myself, I grew up racing with these guys my whole life. Like, I need to be out there road racing doing doing that. And uh, when I got home, I called Bill Bartels and told him I wanted to go road racing, and he said, well, one of our – Seats is already spoken for, but we have like five guys that are interested in uh, going road racing. So head on out to Willow Springs on this date. And if you want to spend some laps and we're going to figure out who we're going to give the second seat to. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to get that ride and spent the year uh, 97 racing 883 series. And it was good. I finished third in the championship, put it on a couple of podiums. And um, unfortunately the AMA got rid of that series at the end of the year. And, it was kind of like, I didn't know that was going to happen going into it. And I had a two year deal with Bartels and, and, um, you know, it, it, uh, forced, forced me to go down a different road and we had to go buy uh, a GSXR 750, like you said, and go do some 750 super sport nationals. And that led into me getting a Suzuki support ride for the next year. And then onto the Hondas after that. So, you know, it was a long, long wore out story, but, uh, I know this is a dirt track podcast. So you want to get to some dirt track stuff. So in 97, when I was doing the uh, road racing for Bartels, there was a couple of knuckleheads riding his 883s in dirt track called Johnny Murphy and Sean Russell, two guys I know you've had on your on your show. <laughs> and uh, so Bill's like, hey, Jake, I know you race dirt track, man. If, you know, before the season kicks off, you want to go do some dirt tracks, you can go ride dirt track too. I was like, yeah, all right. So jumped in the box van with those guys and uh, basically took the parts bike. It was like the spare parts bike, the junk bike, and went and rode uh, the first three dirt track nationals of the year. They first three eighty three nationals of that year, which uh, the first one was at uh, was one of those freaking asphalt uh, races, asphalt half mile races. It was in, oh, uh, the Beach. Mars, the Mars series. Yes, but it was an 883 national. It was part of the dirt track points. Myrtle Beach? Was it Myrtle Beach? It was Myrtle Beach. Yep, yep. it was Myrtle Beach. My dad would race that God. a bunch. Yeah, he loved that track. <laughs> yeah, maybe on a real motorcycle, but on an 883, oh, yeah, yeah. Tell you, that was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Cases are grinding the whole time. Like, dude, I, I was like, everybody's like, oh, you're a road race guy now. Like, you'll kill it on this. I was like. I think I got like eighth or something, barely made the main. I was like, I don't want anything to do with this thing. Like, this is scary. <laughs> Did you race by that at all in that series, Jake? Yeah, I must have because that would have been in 97. I'm trying to think when he did it. Uh, he did it a bunch know, of years. I know, I, know that, I know that on the road racer uh, that year that, that he showed up at a few of the races. I don't think he was at all of them, but I remember him being at some races, a couple, a handful of the road races too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, that's cool. I think I might even have a picture somewhere. I got to dig through some stuff. I think I might have a picture of me and him somewhere. Racing. Yeah, that'd be awesome. But, uh, yeah, I'll have to. I, I don't even know where half that stuff is these days, but uh, <laughs> I should try and dig it up. But the funny part was, and so then we went to, uh, where do we go? We went to West Virginia somewhere to a half mile after that in um, Mineral Wells, I think. And then, then the third Dirt National I did that year was at uh, Joliet. And, um, Didn't you get second? I did. I That's what I heard. I, I heard, heard that. What? You I, put it on the box. I, he led it for a dude, while. I was straight away lead, and then the red flag came out. 
Oh, the worst. The worst. Yeah, because I think Rotor was in second and Johnny was in third, but then Johnny had gotten by Rotor either right on the restart or right before the restart. Anyways, whatever happened, like I had run away at the front, like I was gone. But then on the restart, like we got going and I had it under control. And then Johnny lost his brakes and he was in second. And I don't know, but he figured out how to ride his bike with no rear brake. Right. He had no brakes. And somehow he figured out how to ride it. Dude, he ends up passing me. Like I got like tight. I could hear him. And like, I'm like, I'm leaving the dirt track national. This is weird. And anyways, yeah, Johnny ended up beating me. And I, I want to say that was his first 883 win. Yeah, and, uh, I think it was. Oh, man, we passed you with no brakes. <laughs> you know, and, and the worst part was is that, dude, when I was back there with, with those guys, like we were up at Paul Lynch's place, and I'm rebuilding his Stubby's bike and Johnny's bike. Dude, I'm, I'm lapping the valves into the head and stuff, and I'm doing all this work. I'm taking the junk parts out of their bike because they need them because they're like the guys racing dirt track. I'm putting the best of the junk back into my motor, and then I almost beat a bolt that weekend. <laughs> but the funny part was that I was third in the points. Like, after those first three races, I was third in the points. I was ahead of both of the my teammates. <laughs> That's <laughs> but awesome. But it was time to go road racing, so I, I left it. And so, yeah, that was uh, – that was fun times, but man, those 883s, they were, uh, I didn't enjoy riding those things. Not, not, not the dirt track ones, man. Finally, we, we have somebody on the show who raced the 883 that didn't like riding the 883. Everyone that we've had on the show, they've been like Scott Stump and uh, who else? Willie McCoy. Oh, they weren't that bad. It's like, dude. That's because that's those guys three. won championships on those. Of course that's they loved them. <laughs> That's because they were paying their bills riding them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'm not that bad. I paid my bills for years riding that thing. <laughs> no, not this guy. Like it was, it just wasn't right, man. That was when we had to run those, those, the funky, we had to run the stock rims. Right. So I don't remember how big that front wheel was, but it was huge. And the rear wheel was like a 15 or something like with the uh, huge sidewall uh, street uh. tires that you cut. And dude, it was awful. Willie was on the last show, Willie McCoy, and he's like, I love those stock wheels better than the 19s. <laughs> well, it probably, I think they suited the frame better because they didn't. I think when they went to 19s, that it gave them too much traction and it uh, lined the frames up. I don't think the frames were rigid enough for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I talked to Johnny a little bit today, and uh, the funniest thing he was telling me about was uh, a time you guys were staying at RK Stratman's shop. Uh, most people know most people know R.K. Stratman. He's a legendary uh, apparel guy for Harley Davidson. Sadly, just recently passed away. But R.K. was a, a legend, and you guys were staying at his shop, and you went full White Goodman on him and blasted him in the face with a dodgeball, and a fist fight almost <laughs> broke out. So <laughs> got to hear, yeah. hear the story. So we had we had this deal set up like R.K. had this apartment that we stayed in, right, and and. If I remember right, it had like a basement, and there was just a bunch of junk down there. By junk, I mean like a, a VR1000 Harley Superbike that had zero miles on it. And <laughs> <laughs> like there was just all this stuff in the basement. So we we set up like a, I don't even know how we ended up with a bicycle, but we had a bicycle down there, and we set up some little track, me, him, and Stubby, and like we were taking times, like we were timing each other, like doing hot laps down there, right, doing super pole laps, and but we were like throwing balls. I don't even know what, remember what kind of balls they were, but like some sort of ball we were throwing at each other as we we're riding, trying to get it caught in the wheel. So like the guy had crashed and I don't know, I think I zinged one in there and I hit him in the nose and he got pissed and he came at me like he was going to punch me. And, 
it's funny. Like I remember back in the day, I, I think he goes like, yeah, I was, I was going to, I was going to, I was going to light you up, man. I was going to punch you out. And then I got right up to your face and I realized this isn't a good idea. <laughs> and then he yeah, he's with, like, yeah. I realized I'm not a fighter, so I, I, I don't know what to do here. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. He was pissed, though. I don't think I've ever seen him that pissed in my life. And I've known him for a long time. But, uh, yeah, it was it, it was fun, man. Those those uh, those days can't be replaced, that's for sure. I, I've, I've listened to you guys on the podcast, and you hear the old guys get on there and going, ah, the kids these days, there's no way they had as much fun as we had. And I, I kind of tend to agree. Like, you guys, you're busy driving 22 hours straight. You don't have any time for fun. Oh, I know, man. It's so different now. I love hearing these old stories and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I mentioned, I know you from your AMA Superbike days and the days that you raced for, you know, American Honda and the Jordan motorsports team. Uh, what well, actually, the first thing I want to ask you is when you rode for Jordan, did you actually get to meet Michael Jordan? Like I, I've kind of been curious on that. Yeah. Yeah. I actually met Jordan the very first year he came into our paddock. Um, I actually probably spent more time with Michael um, in the years I didn't race for him than when I did. Because the year that I rode for him, 2010, was also the same year he, he uh, bought the Charlotte Bobcats, the NBA basketball team. Right. So he wasn't – he was at Daytona when I won. So that was cool because he got to see that. Um, and then I think he showed up to Road America because that was – he was in Chicago and it was close. He only showed up there on Saturday because I think him and the boys had too good of a time Saturday night, so they didn't make it back for Sunday. <laughs> and then I think he showed up at New Jersey that year, like the last race of the year, and that, that was it. So his involvement was a lot less. And the, the years prior to that, a lot because he was started in our paddock, I think, in 04. And, um, and back in those days, like, he was at every race. Like, when he first started, he was at every race, man. That guy was uh, diehard. He wanted to know about the sport. He wanted to learn about it. And, uh yeah, it was it was it was cool to see his uh, enthusiasm and and uh, how excited he was about about motorcycle racing. Yeah, that, that's really cool. I remember seeing him in the press box. I went to watch Daytona one year, and we were sitting up top in the I guess they used to call it the Winston Tower or whatever the hell it was. But looking over in the glass window next man, there's Michael Jordan. I I always thought that was really cool as a a sports fan to see his involvement. And then yeah, when you rode for him, that was. That was pretty cool, but I mean, what I was getting at is there was a lot of talent in Superbike back then, AMA Superbike. I mean, oh, the the list goes on and on, but um, this is, you know, we'd like to get to the nitty-gritty in our show and talk a little bit about guys that, who did you hate racing with in AMA Superbike? I mean, was there anyone out there who you would not hesitate to run it in on, slam into, uh, you know, who, who were your biggest rivals in, uh, in Superbike when you, when you raced and maybe who did you kind of enjoy racing with the most? God, you know, we know, Pe- we know like Pegram the- hated Milan. So we've, we've established that on, <laughs> on previous shows. So <laughs> I don't think you'll find too many guys that were fond of him, but that's what I hear. Uh, that's what I hear. Yeah, I never had any problems with Matt, honestly. The thing with Matt, or the biggest thing with Matt was that if he could get to you, he would. Meaning, like, that guy was the king at playing mind games, right? And so if he knew he could rattle you at all, like, he would do it. And and he took a couple jabs at me, you know, like, my first year on the Superbike. And then once I, I, I just ignored him. I didn't even respond to him. And once he realized that, like, he could say whatever he wanted and I wasn't going to get all pissed off or, you know, even say anything back. Like he just left me alone. And, um, I think we had a fairly decent mutual respect after that. But, um, 
No, you know, as far as rivals, I don't really, can't really say I really had one. Like, I, I know I had some big battles with a lot of guys, and it always changed because, I mean, I raced road racing for, shit, I think 18 seasons. So there was uh, a lot of guys that, that came and went. But it always seemed like it was the young kids, right? Because you'd get the young kids, and you guys get it the same thing in dirt track, right? Like, the guys, when they first get on a twin on a mile, and, like, they'd be running it into people, and you're like, hey, dude, you got to calm down on the mile. Like, you can't be running over people on the mile. Like, you got to show a little respect. It was the same thing in road racing. Whenever a young kid had come up in the 600 class or whatever, like, they'd be making some questionable moves and you'd be like, Whoa, dude, like you got to chill out a little bit. Like if you want to stick around, like, <laughs> um, so you always had that. Like, I remember when John Shout them out, Jake. Like, yeah. Come on. John name drop, man. Drop them names. No, dude, the, the, the best ever. His first time at Daytona, we're in the 600 race. And I cannot tell you how many times he hit the wall in between NASCAR one and two and NASCAR three and four. Like, Who is this? Back Hopkins. then it was, Hopkins. It was before they had the soft walls at, at Daytona, right? And so it was just a concrete wall. So you could run right up next to it. And dude, like, I don't know what he'd be doing, but he'd be like right up next to the wall. Then he'd run into the wall. He'd bounce off the wall. And it's like, you gotta like, keep what doing are these that? guys doing, man? Like, like this guy is crazy. And, and, you know, he was 16 and he was just holding it wide open, doing whatever he could. And, you know, that, that, that was pretty funny. And, I don't know. There was. I remember when DeSalvo came up. Nobody liked riding around DeSalvo either. Like when he was younger. Like when he was, after he was there for a while, he was fine. But I remember in the early days, he'd he'd be like, "Dude, what are you doing?" Like uh, he just makes some questionable passes sometimes. And probably the worst one I'd say was Blake Young. Blake at. uh, I remember (laughs) the first time he got to like the front of the 600 class. It was at uh, Miller up in Utah, and this was like in 08. Um, Me and Hayes were running at the front. And Blake got up there and he was doing this thing like where, you know, Miller's got like a, whatever, almost a mile long front straightaway. And he would do this thing. Like he would come to draft by you, but he wouldn't clear you. He he'd be like his rear wheel would be about at your front wheel. And he'd just swerve right over back in front of you. Like to the point where you'd have to chop the throttle and hit the brakes. Like it was really bad. Like you're like, Oh dude, like, yeah, yeah, it was not good. It, you know, it, it's one thing even to move over. Like once you've got, you know, you've gotten by the guy, but he wouldn't even be close. And you'd be like, dude, what are you doing? It's like and the, obviously, I mean, yeah, I mean, most most often the the the, the stuff that's like discreet that the fans can't see or even like the officials can't see. That's usually the worst shit that you have to deal with. Like the guys that are doing stuff like that. Like I'd almost ha- rather have somebody kind of run into me than p- than do like sneaky shifty shit. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. That's, yeah. I just yeah. don't think he, I don't even think he knew he was only like probably 18 years old or something. Like I, I don't think anybody ever told him not to do that. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he was probably just doing what he thought he was supposed to do. And uh, that's just age and experience, right? Like when somebody else does it to you, you go, Whoa, Hey, hold on a second. Like, yeah. like I said, sometimes that those young kids as they're coming through, they, they, uh, they're just trying to get there, right? Like they're, they're trying to be the next guy and, they're finally getting their chance to be up front and they're, they're just trying to do everything they can just to be up there. Right. And like the old guys are like, Oh man, watch out for this guy. Like he'll take care of himself before this race is over. But, uh, no, I didn't really have any huge rivals though. Like, but the guys to ride around the best guys to ride around Tommy Hayden. Absolutely. I, I, I could race to like, within inches with that guy time and time again. And it would always be clean. Neither one of us had ever, you know, touched the other one. Like me and Tommy, we didn't, 
unfortunately we didn't have all that many races that were that close. Like, but the couple ones that were, man, we had, we had some good ones for sure. And, uh, always, always trusted and respected Tommy, like, like to the very end. And, uh, uh always enjoyed riding with Tommy, always enjoyed racing with that guy. That's good stuff, man. I mean, uh, you know, it's always good to hear, you know, riders' perspectives uh, on different guys and, you know, what they think of them. And, you know, this being a, a, a primarily, you know, a flat track show, I mean, we love talking about road racing and speedway and all motorcycles, really. But, you know, I see every now and then, uh, usually once a year at a, you know, an AFT national, I'm like, there's Jake, man, what's going on? I see you. So, you know, I, I don't know what you're doing, but I, I see you around every now and then. Do you follow the sport? I mean, fairly closely now with, uh, with social media and, you know, and being able to tune in and watch races live or, or do you just kind of pop in every now and now and then and catch one live? No, I'm a, I'm a flat track guy. I always have been. And, uh, you know, even all the years I was road racing, I was watching it, you know, like you said, Johnny Murphy's one of my best friends and, and, uh, he was always out there racing. So I had to keep an eye on what he was doing and what was going on. And, and then even the, the years that followed that, uh, just keeping an eye on it and, and seeing what's going on for sure. And always enjoy showing up every once in a while. And, um, you know, these days, since I quit racing, I, uh, I worked for a company called Wasserman. It's a sports management marketing agency and um one of my clients is jd beach so obviously i keep an even closer eye on it these days than i than i had been previously over the last few years and flat track's always been near and dear to my heart like that's uh that's the roots and that that's where i that's you know i loved racing flat track and and you know maybe had there been more opportunity in flat track back in the days maybe i wouldn't have wanted to be a road racer i don't know but um i i can i can tell you from my own perspective that I'm a much more talented flat track racer than I am a, a road racer. If that makes any kind of sense to anybody, it probably doesn't unless no, yeah, <laughs> no. maybe a couple people, but I can get on a dirt track bike and I don't have to think like I, I can literally not ride one for 10 years and go jump on one and be fast and, you know, pretty fast anyways, pretty, pretty quickly. So, um, it's not something, it's something that just comes really natural to me, even though I, hardly ever ever ride flat track but you know it, it was uh you know that's where i cut my teeth and and it's still near and dear to my heart and i love the sport and i love the people involved with it and uh you know it's uh i, I think it's great to see it it's come to a point where guys are you know multiple guys are, are making a living racing flat track right now i think that's awesome yeah no it's good to hear i I'd like to see you ride, man. I, I put on a race every year in Florida in January called the Winter Throwdown. I, I'll find you a bike if you wanna if you wanna ride. I'll man, switch on to it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm about I'm about twenty pounds too heavy to be riding any kind of motorcycle right now. Well, the, 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 the track the track is slick, so that means you'll hook it's up. A short track, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna oh, get you a hooligan right. bike or something. It's called traction. It's called traction. traction. That's right. Yeah. That's traction. No, it, it's pretty cool, man. I haven't. Uh, man, I'm trying to think of the last time I. I, I, it seems like I throw my leg over a bike about once every eight to 10 years and I'm probably about due. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I'll have to think about it. I'll have to think about I'll it. Call, no, I'm going to call you and remind you. I'm going to call you and remind you in a month or so. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that gives me plenty of time to get in shape. <laughs> I thought well, I could be fast. I didn't off. say that for how long. It might only yeah. be a lap. <laughs> That's fine. We just love to see you, man. We'd love to, I'd no, love to see you ride. 
Yeah, no, I love I love riding flat track. Like I said, it's uh, it's something that's always been uh, something special. I don't know, there's just something about it, and and uh, you know, road racing's cool, and I love road racing. But it, man, the dirt track, it's just I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it. I guess it's just home, right? Like even yeah. now when I go to a national, I mean, I don't know most of the guys nowadays. Like you know, I'll walk through the pits, but you know, a few of them will holler at me. I mean, I know obviously. The guys from my generation are, yeah, I think Cool Beth was about the last one that was still out there, you know, and uh, it was cool to see him. Uh, was that last year? Meadowlands was his last race. So, that was a couple years um, now, two years. Or two years, two years ago. Yeah, two years yeah. ago. So, you know, I was there for that one, and it was cool to see him, and it was cool to follow his career, you know. Like I said, as an amateur coming up, we, you know, we were – I don't know if you want to call it rivals, but we were the guys that we had to beat each other, right, to, to win the national. So it, it was cool to follow his career and, and uh, you know, watch him win Grand National Championships and ride for Factory Harley and, and the whole thing. Like, it was it was cool to follow his career and through the whole thing and uh, see what happens. But like I said, the kids nowadays, I mean, I still know some of the kids around there and some of them know who I am. But for the most part, I could walk through that that uh, paddock pretty uh pretty pretty unassuming these days which is nice too you know it's uh it's cool it's always good to see your friends but it's cool to see that uh you know most of us have gotten gotten out of the game and i'll still have most of our fingers and toes left to <laughs> to talk about so most of them uh, yeah most of them every every <laughs> once in a while you gotta lose a digit but you know <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah. Uh, like the old cool, saying man. it's like cool. the old saying goes you know it's better than being a motorcycle racer right being an old motorcycle racer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about this getting old stuff. I keep feeling it, but uh, I don't oh. know. I, I, I'm, I'm still feeling pretty good for an old guy. Yeah. Well, we appreciate it, man. We do uh, one more segment on the show. It's called the higher low line and kind of this or that type deal. If you listen to the show, you kind of know where we're going, but give us one or the other and then a brief explanation. Uh, we got a couple good ones here. Uh, you got to go super bike racing. You're picking your team. You going with American Honda or Jordan Suzuki? American Honda. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good one. Didn't even have to think about that one. <laughs> I, I got one for you. Um, you got to ride it. You got to ride an indoor short track, and you either got to start from the back row or you can start on the pole, but you got to ride with a foggy shield. Ooh, how big is this indoor short track? What are we talking? A little indoor short track. We're talking like uh, first gear. Yeah, yeah. Second gear, you know. Second gear short track. Oof. Del Delmar uh, short track. Man, Delmar. I think it'd be hard to come from the back at Delmar, but uh, man, I, I I I like where I I like to be able to see where I'm going. I, I can't handle the foggy shield, so I'm going. I'm starting from the back. Yeah, I've ridden a lot of indoors, and pole position is almost. If you don't win from pole, you seriously messed up. Like, that's the <laughs> that's a traffic light. You just pull out and go. So, I'll take a fog. Oh, yeah, I'll, you could put a Fig Newton sticker over my shield. <laughs> Whatever, give me pole. <laughs> See, that's uh, why you're still young and racing. See, I'm old, and I'm just like, I want to see where I'm going. I don't even care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, you got to be uh, – you're stuck on an island with Johnny Murphy. Well, I'm going to change this around a little bit, Sammy. This is Sammy's question. But you're stuck on an island with Johnny Murphy or Sean Russell. Who's it going to be? Oh, Johnny. Johnny, yeah. he's resourceful. <laughs> Dubby, Dubby probably just go back to sleep. 
<laughs> I'm going to go back to sleep to figure out what's going to happen next. The problem is, is with Johnny, we might get off the island. With Stubby, for sure, like your 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 fate is set. You're just going to stay on that island for the rest of your life. <laughs> like that's just the way He's it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's, going He's like, this is not bad. <laughs> totally fine. He's going to be totally fine sitting on that island. Like, it's going to be fine. <laughs> That's, uh, that's great. All right. All right. I, I you know, you got to forgive me. I, I don't know the technical names for these uh, events, but I'll try my best. Okay. So Olympic ski jump, you know, the one where they go down that big ass hill and yep. launch and yep. soar forever. Yep. You got to do that or a Red Bull style, like distance jump on a motocross bike on a motocross bike. Like Robbie Madsen, Ooh. like you know, big. Like you oh, got to do bike. one or the other. Ooh. Yeah. Man, that's a tough one. Dude, those uh, ski jumpers jump high. I, that's insane. I've yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think I'd probably have to go for the Robbie Madison jump just because at least on a motorcycle, I I have some skill on a motorcycle with the skis, like. I'm with like, you, man. I go snowboard. I've never skied in my life. Like I snowboard, <laughs> but I don't ski. So I, I, I don't. I think I might. I might be the first skier ever to loop out on that. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, man. I've never seen it in person, but I forget where I was. I was somewhere, and it's they had terrifying. they had one of those ramps there, and I was like, "Holy crap! Like it is insanely huge." And I mean, it's high, man. That is insane. Yeah, I'm with you. I'd do, I'd do the the Red Bull jump too. I, yeah, I, I, way, I, I, I think, say that, but if it was in front of me, I, I, I know I'd, I'd probably just pull us out. Like, there's no way. <laughs> there's no <laughs> backing out. There's no yeah. backing out. I was gonna say, or you got to lose one of your fingers, but I don't. You know, I mean, it could be a third option. <laughs> Typically, most of the road racers I know, they're missing half their pinky or something. So. Yeah. See, and uh, I got yeah. all my digits. So, like I said, I'm good. I'm good. Dude, I that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I got, we got a couple more here for you. Uh, biggest mini bike rival, Matt Waite or Ben Bostrom? Ooh, uh, it would have had to been Matt. Um, Ben, Ben hadn't quite come into his own yet. Like, I think he was still trying to be a a skateboarder at that point. Um, (laughs) He 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 would show up and he'd be fast, but dude, like he they they were so scattered, but Matt Matt was always like he was a racer man. He he wanted he wanted it bad and uh, yeah Ben Ben didn't come on till a little bit later for sure. Like he was fast, but he just wasn't quite uh, he wasn't the week in and week out guy like like that that I was worried about. That would have been Matt. All right, here here's one for you. Let me think here. Okay, all right, sidecar monkey. You're the monkey. You're the guy hanging off at the Isle of Man, or <laughs> or. Or you got to drive one of those lay-down carts at Daytona. Well, I'll take the lay-down cart at Daytona. Yeah. That's kind of easy. Those things oh, are nuts, man. though. They go fast. Yeah, but, but dude, I'm in control. The monkey? Like, dude, come on. Like, there's no way. <laughs> Isle of Man, I'd stick my head out the side of that thing and probably get ripped off on a, on a stone wall or something. Like, <laughs> yeah i just no posted way. a we just posted a, a a sidecar racing on our on our page last week i, I found the video and 
just watching that, I'm like, dude, like, how do you pick your driver in this? Like, I don't know. I don't know who, I don't think I'd want to get in the car with anybody. Like, I don't think I'd trust anybody, anybody. Like I wouldn't do it. No, Especially and, it, and it goes both ways. Cause if you lose your monkey, man, you're screwed as your driver. So <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. you're, you're screwed either way. Like if you're, yeah. the, monkey, you're the driver, I, I it's a know, lose, lose. Yeah, I think I could yeah, be a monkey. I'd that's do not it. my deal. I'd do it. You'd be the monkey, Sam? I'd be a monkey, man. I'd hang off that sucker. Yeah. Who would you rather have driving I mean, the car, if, me or Jake? If you really want to, I mean, Jake? I'm sure we can call Oxley down at Costa Mesa, and he'll, he'll get you a sidecar monkey gig. Oh, man. Uh, I mean, yeah, no, Corey, I would not get on with you. That I would call it quits right there. You got to <laughs> be like, take the pinky. <laughs> oh, won't be that bad. Yeah, well. We appreciate you, Jake, for coming on. Um, it was good to chat with you. I learned a lot. I learned a, a lot. I learned a lot from uh, my phone call with Johnny Murphy today, and it was good to uh, to talk with you a bit about it and get some insight on your career, man. Uh, appreciate appreciate it, and hopefully we see you at a race soon. I'm I'm gonna call you uh, consistently to get you on a bike. Oh man, don't do that. I'd have to get in shape to do that. Like, that sounds horrible. Man, I see you on Instagram. I heard you're in shape, man. Murphy said you could go out. You could go out tomorrow, and you could probably fast qualify Daytona. So, that I don't know, man. I, I, you're sneaky in shape, I hear. So, I, I think you're probably more ready than you think. Like I said, one lap's okay. Anything over five, it's probably a no go. <laughs> trophy gas, well, man. We're gonna do no, a trophy gas. Just just take the lead, lead the first couple laps, and then just start looking down at, like, your bike. Pretend something's wrong with the bike and just pull off. Just, ah, something, Dude, something was wrong with the bike. Even even when I was in shape, like, I, I wasn't ready to go ride dirt track. Like, like that's a totally different kind of in shape Yeah. <laughs> from a road race bike. Like, that's it, true. It's, yeah. Like, yeah. I remember, uh, what was it, oh, 02? Oh, 02, I went back to Springfield and rode the short track, and... Dude, even that was when we had like uh, what they have called the scratch heats and then the heats and whatever. Like, dude, even in those, like the scratch heat, I think was like four laps or six laps and I was dying. And then my heat race was like eight laps or 10 laps and I was really dying. Then I was in the main event and I was, I was dead. I was like, oh my God, there's no. I heard you did good. I I heard you did pretty well though at that. I mean, that was a, that was a, there's a lot of riders there and you you made the main event. So that's, that's pretty good. Yeah, no, it was good. It was good. I, uh, Crazy. I decided very late to go do that race, and that was right when they had uh, changed the rules to, like, 505 or something. And so I had a 450 Honda, and I had one of, like, the first Weisco, like, 500 kits, and the bike just got built. I didn't even start it. I took it. I started driving to go back to Springfield. I stopped at Danny Walker's in Colorado, and they had some little short track. I rode the thing for, like, 10 laps, and it blew up. It uh, put a hole through, like, the oil jacket and the water jacket or something anyways the oil and the water mixed together so i got back to murphy's and uh that's when he was living in uh, back in illinois and so his roommate or something or buddy i don't know what he was but he worked at the local dealership so he put my I, luckily i brought the stock 450 cylinder and piston with me so he put that back on for me showed up there and uh shit i qualified third fastest behind nikki and chris and uh <laughs> dude come on then, that's awesome yeah, and then uh, it was funny because there was a hundred and what was it like a hundred and four or a hundred and six entries that day, qualified and third. yeah, qualified third. But then like 
literally like because you know how packed those pits are, right? Like, oh yeah, they were told everybody if you didn't qualify, like you had to pack your shit up and get out of there. <laughs> and some guy comes up to me and he's like, "Hey," um, he's like, "Don't you feel bad?" And I said, "For what?" And he says, "For taking all these." Dirt trackers, money, blah, blah, blah. You're a factory road race guy. All you road racers, blah, blah, blah. And your factory bikes and this and that. And he's like, you should feel bad for taking these guys work hard week in and week out to fucking come out here and do this. And I looked at this guy. I said, hey, dude, I just bought this bike with my own money. I drove out here in my van by myself. I've got no mechanic. I said, I haven't rode a dirt track bike in almost 10 years. I discounted the 883 thing, but <laughs> I was like, <laughs> there's no count. Like, yeah, that didn't really count. But even so, that would have been four or five years. I was like, literally, I sat on this bike for 10 laps. Like, I, 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 that's the first time I've ridden in that long. And I said, and if these guys can't do better than that, and this is what they think they're doing week in and week out, they might want to find a different job, dude. I was yes. so pissed at this guy. Love it. I was Love like, it. dude, you can just go walk. And the guy just looked at me and his jaw dropped and he walked away. Yeah. But dude, I was pissed. I was pissed. But dude, that was fun though. That I think in my uh scratch heat, I think I, I had Atherton in my scratch heat and I had Cool Beth in my heat race. So I had to beat those guys. But dude, I was front row for the main which was my only goal was just to make the main. And uh, it was funny because being my own mechanic, uh, <laughs> I stripped one of my sprocket bolts. Like it was a 450. So it, I didn't have a quick change hub or anything. Like it was the stock hubs. Like I stripped the sprocket bolt uh, in like in practice still, like or in qualifying. Like I was like, oh, I need to change my gear. And I was like, oh, well, I guess that's not going to happen. So dude, in the main event, when the track slicked off, like I was hitting the rev limiter before, like halfway down the straightaway. So every straightaway, another bike could go by me. <laughs> I was oh, like, I'd come off the corner, hit the rev limiter, and a bike could go by. Come off the corner, hit the rev limiter, and a bike could go by. I was like, ah, oh, well, whatever. At that cool. point, man, start shifting. <laughs> I was way too much work. I was already tired. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, uh, like yeah, I said, I man, though, we, man, we appreciate you coming on, and it was a lot of fun. And we'll catch up with you soon. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yep, Jay. sounds good, guys. And we'll hopefully we'll see you at a race sooner than later. If yeah, not, yeah. Uh, what? Yeah. Winter throwdown. <laughs> Winter throwdown. Gosh, gosh. I'm gonna call you in a month. I'm gonna call you in a month. All right, sounds good, guys. All right, see you All later, right. man. Yeah, <laughs> later. Well, Jake Zemke, man, that was an awesome interview. I learned a lot about the guy that I had no clue about. I mean, I've always kind of mentioned it, but I've always been a fan, but. Didn't know much about his flat track career and kind of a legend. I mean, definitely a legend on dirt and pavement. So that was a good interview, Sammy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Jake, Jake's a cool guy, man. Super humble. Uh, like I said, you know, from his early days, you always knew he was destined for greatness. Kind of like, you know, you see guys like, uh, you know, Nikki Hayden when they're young. And it's like, man, you know, that guy's going somewhere. It was the same way with Jake. And, um, you know, he, he kind of filled his own shoes pretty well because uh obviously he's had an amazing career so always fun to talk to jake and um yeah good times yeah we had a fan question man i've, I've actually got asked it a few times this year and i thought i'd address it a little bit i i don't you know whatever i they, it's a tough one for me because i don't really know much about i know what we're doing what i'm doing but the other guys i don't i don't really know too much about but you know they they asked me what's the biggest difference in kind of the Yamaha I'm running versus the Yamaha that the Essenson team is running in Super Twins because technically mine is a production bike in the production class and they're running what is a production bike in the Super Twins class. So it's, 
you know, it's no secret that the Essence and team, they're kind of struggling a little bit against the Indians and the Harleys a little bit in that class, um, which is a bummer for me because I know how good I know how good JD is. I know how good Colby can ride. So it's been kind of tough to see. You know, I'm on a Yamaha as well, but I don't know the biggest difference. I don't know what they're doing, really. I know they have a, a really big budget, and they do a lot of testing, which is something that we don't have access to a lot. So we try and keep it as simple as possible. <laughs> um, our bike is essentially it's a kit you buy from Yamaha. It's a stock Yamaha ECU. We run the, you know, the Graves exhaust, exhaust, which Yamaha sells as well. So everything on our bikes, the G&G bikes that I run, it's the kit you buy from Yamaha, and we put it in a frame. There's nothing crazy, developmental, stock crank, you know, everything. You can actually, everything that's in our engine, like our spec sheet, you can just buy from Yamaha or just look at it from Yamaha. So I don't know what, you know, those guys are doing. I'm sure they're trying to try different things here and there to get closer to the Indians and things like that. But um, where we're at with our stuff, you know, my team, they, they like to keep it simple and um, basic package pretty much. But I get that question a lot too, Sammy, for the Harleys. Like, you know, what's the difference in the production Harleys to the super twins bikes? Maybe we can kind of get into that later in a later show, but I, that's a, you know, I don't have all the answers to that, but it's definitely interesting, interesting question for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. You know, I mean, uh, I don't think anybody would really truly have the, the real answer unless you're on the inside uh, realms of those teams, you know, because only so much information gets out. But, yeah, obviously, you know, uh, you know, in the Super Twins deal, whether it's Harley or Espenson, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're going for it, man. And, and you know, they're uh, essentially cooking with fire and maybe they got the flame a little too hot. And when you do that, you get burnt a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> That's just my take on it uh, in a nutshell. But, you know, uh, we could talk about that and go into it a little bit deeper uh, maybe next week. And I think it would be fun to talk about. Yeah, we'll, we'll touch upon it a little bit more. But, yeah, good question. Definitely appreciate all the fan questions. Definitely hit us up, social media, send us in some questions. And, yeah, we'll try and touch upon as many as we can. But, again, I want to thank our sponsors and make this show happen. Bell Power Sports, check out bellhelmets.com to view their full line of products. They do a really good job and support a lot of guys in our sport, uh, a lot of riders in our sport, so definitely check them out. Dunlop Tire, the DT4, the new and improved tire. To find your nearest nearest dealer, visit DunlopMotorcycleTires.com. Also want to give a shout-out to the Moto America Series. They're racing Indianapolis this weekend. Make sure you check them out. MotoAmerica.com, hit them up on social media. Lots of good coverage, videos, photos, drama, a little bit here and there, which we love to see um the moto america live package you can watch uh, subscribe and watch right from their website all day live streaming uh very similar to what um the nbc sports packages in their track or fan choice was so check them out really good racing give them a give them a like on social media and then uh also a big shout out to jerry Finchfield roof systems of dallas texas for always supporting our show and and making flat track happen pretty much that guy does a lot for the sport but that's all we got right now. Sammy's got a few races to kind of talk about coming up. We want to definitely shout out them as well. Sammy? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, in Ohio, the uh, Boss Series, which is the best uh, Ohio summer series, uh, returns to Triangle Motorcycle Club in Harpster, Ohio, for a doubleheader. Saturday, October 10th, there's a short track. That's Saturday night, followed by a Sunday half mile. You can uh, get more information by going to uh, Best Ohio Summer Series on Facebook and uh, look for our social media posts coming out probably later 
uh, today or when you hear this show, you'll see it. Uh, next race on the on the calendar is uh, the Deep South Motorcycle Club. They're down in uh, Carnesville, Georgia. They're putting on a race October 17th. Gates open at 12, sign up at 1, riders meeting at 4 with practice heats and mains to follow. Uh, also, on the 16th, they have a Friday night practice. It's uh, 20 bucks, and that goes from 7 to 10 o'clock. That's the Deep South Motorcycle Club in Carnesville, Georgia. More information at Deep South Motorcycle Club on Facebook. Love it. Yeah, love it. That track looks like a lot of fun, actually. So uh, we appreciate those racetracks for um, for hitting us up and and uh, supporting our show as well. But, man, we're both in Charlotte. We're, we're getting ready to race tomorrow. So this is a kind of a fill-in deal, try to get a show out there for you guys. I've had people asking. It's it's been a what a week and a half, two weeks since we've had our last show. So, definitely appreciate all the all the love. Um, so, it, the audio might be a little shittier than w- normal, but hey, we're doing what we can. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely. been a it, it, in our world, Corey. It's been a it's been some pretty short weeks, you know, between racing and working on motorcycles and traveling and doing <laughs> different everything state every weekend. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts, and, it was like, and that's why we're talking on our phones right now, sitting in hotel rooms. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a lot tougher, man, than seeing you, seeing you, and and all, and the, kind of all that deal. But yeah, that's our life, man. I mean, we've uh, you know Texas. It was Friday and Saturday night race drive. I drove home all, all all day and all night to get home Monday. Left again on Wednesday night. Drove to Atlanta. Race Friday and Saturday. I left yesterday from Atlanta from Atlanta to come up to Charlotte racing friday and saturday and then i'll go home for a day or two then i'll and then i'll drive back down to daytona for another double header and then the season's over so it's it's a grind right now we appreciate everybody's patience for uh kind of putting up with uh i guess the lack of a show last week uh just due to this chaotic schedule but we're all doing our best to make do and uh we, we love bringing you good solid content and uh, we wouldn't want to bring you anything less, and so that's why we kind of had to wait. It's gonna get better, bit. baby. It's gonna get better because yeah. the season's over. The beers are. Lance for a lot you, of Coors shit. Light for me. Well, right now it's pumpkin beer, bro. I'm seasonal, so we'll we'll do the uh, pumpkin uh, beer for a few months. <laughs> you know the good thing about Coors Light? Not nothing. It's good year round. <laughs> I don't have to change. <laughs> I love it. Well, I also got a new office that I put in, Sammy. I, I I converted Shana's old bedroom in my house to a a really nice office. So hopefully in the near I've future we can that. go. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll have yeah. to bring your ass over to Lancaster and we'll do uh, some live shows and stuff too. So yeah, I'll put on my best best Amish gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'd be hilarious, actually. So. <laughs> Cool. Well, we'll wrap it up. I got a thing I'm going to tonight, an autograph thing at a, some uh, rock climbing place, and I'm sure you're busy as well. But I'll see you tomorrow, Sammy, and everybody else. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate you guys. Hit us up. Peace. See you soon. See you. Jake Zemke, numbers saved in my phone. Yeah, that's cool, man. Jake, like I said, he when he was a young kid, man, you you just looked at him and you knew he was destined for greatness.